In the name of God, most merciful, ever merciful, and may God's peace and blessings be upon his holy prophet Muhammad and the purified members of his household and project. So the topic that we were discussing or that we had started discussing is an extension of our exploration of materialism. So we started by looking at the beginning of the universe, then we looked at the beginning of life, and then we wanted to spend a little bit of time trying to understand the beginning of what we call a human being. So we looked at a human being a little bit from a evolutionary perspective, and we said that there are some gaps there, but we didn't spend too much time on it. And then we looked at a human being a little bit more from a philosophical perspective to say what makes a human being different. And we went through a series, a number of differences between what we find in a human being and the rest of nature. And these are things that are not only differences, as we said, they're not only differences in degree. So a human being is not more or less of those things. They are differences in kind. So these are things that are completely different in a human being that we do not find in other entities. And we went through a whole series of them. But at the end of the day, the one that was the most striking or that really distinguishes a human being from everything else is their mind. It's the analytical, conceptual ability that a human being has and the way they can think that distinguishes that this entity that we are from the rest of the animal kingdom, let's say, which is the closest thing to us. And then we, after we talked about that, we made a link and we said, let's drill down into one specific area. We said all of these could be explored in a lot more detail, but let's look into one specific area to help us, which is the mind. Because the mind is going to help us, I'm talking about it very, you know, neutrally and not spending too much time on it but inshallah once all of this is done you're going to see how inshallah all of this is going to allow you to better understand what we mean by the soul and this is what we're trying to get to because this is the antithesis to this idea of materialism at the end of the day either you have a soul or you don't either there's an afterlife or there isn't that's what, what, where we're going so we're not going to establish all the proof for that right now we're talking about some elements where science can help us make some linkages for the time being, and we're going to come back to it in more detail later, especially when we're going to talk about the afterlife. And that's going to be a whole theme on its own, and we're going to spend a lot of time on it. For the time being, what we said is we're exploring what distinguishes a human being from the rest of creation, from the rest of the animal kingdom, one. And two, let's look at the mind specifically. So what's the issue with the mind? So don't forget, our issue right now is to see can materialism explain to us the world or not? We said materialism says the only thing that exists in the world is matter and the energy that transforms back and forth into mass, energy, energy, mass. So it's matter or the energy that uh, is transformed into or transforms from. Okay? 
if this is what you believe, and you believe that everything that happens in the world is only or nothing more than a material interaction, interactions between material parts of this world and energies of this world, then how do we explain the mind? So what we thought is to go through some of the activities, some of the things that we know, and as we said, this is an entire field of study, things that are happening with the mind. So they're looked at really, really in psychology, but in other areas too. Because the reality is, materialism is supposed to be able to explain those things, because they're supposed to be things that happen in the brain. There is nothing but the brain that could explain these. So people are spending their entire lives, and these, each one of these areas that we discuss very quickly is an entire field where millions of dollars are spent doing research. There's dedicated research centers and scholars and journals and institutions to each one of these areas, to each one of these questions that we talked about until now. So we started with the placebo effect, right? And we said today, the placebo effect, with everything that it, as well known as it is and the place that it holds in the pharmaceutical and other industries, it's huge, the placebo effect. And yet... As we read, the experts in the field tell us we don't know how it works. And really the question fundamentally is, can we explain it with material means or not? Is this just material interactions, or is there more something immaterial, non-material, that is your real true nature that is being influenced by these things that are beliefs, that are uh, things that may make you change your mind, control your brain, regenerate your brain, is this all the brain itself doing what it does? Or there is something else and the brain is only the tool? And we talked about a number of examples to allow us to better understand this. For instance, the pigmentation of the big canvas. Okay? You can understand the parts of a beautiful painting by looking at the parts, but the parts don't tell you the whole story about the painting. The image that was painted is different from every part. And someone who knows how mechanically and materialistically the painting was put together has nothing to say about what the painting actually is or the effect that it has on you. These are, in one case, we're looking at the ingredients, the tools, the means, and in the other one, we're looking at what the thing actually is and what it's supposed to do. So some of the things we looked at were the placebo effect. We talked about this idea of the biofeedback mechanisms, and there are now uh, machines that are used to teach people to control their brain waves. We talked about that. We talked about the idea of neuroplasticity. So the idea that your brain can regenerate itself or parts of itself. And we talked about the mind-body connection. And if you remember this yogi that was able to basically kill himself, proven scientifically for eight days. Completely die at will for eight days and come back to life based on the time that he said he would come back to life. Documented, and yet all the scientists who were there say, we were skeptical, we have no clue, we're sure that it's a trick, we have no clue how it was, we rechecked all the, the tools that we have and everything was working properly, we just felt that we have to publish our results, but we're really not sure what really happened here. And we're not even saying that we believe that this is... It, we saw it in front of our eyes, but our system of belief does not allow us to explain what just happened or even accept it. Okay, we talked about all of that. So now we wanted to continue with a few more, not a lot more. We have, I think, four of them left, three of them left. A few more activities of the brain that may or may not 
based on what we're claiming, it may not be fully explainable by what the brain is capable of, what we know the brain can do. So this next one is hypnosis. So again, I'm going back to this book called Brain Wars by Mario Borogar. And now we are at page 113. So chapter 5, The Mind Force Within. I'm not going to repeat what I said about the book. I really recommend it. So very quickly, again, just giving you samples. So page 113, the author of this chapter says, In the mid-19th century, anesthetics were not yet available, and terrible pain was associated with every surgical procedure. The English surgeon John Elliotson, a professor of medicine, and his protege, Scottish surgeon James Esdale, a medical officer for the British East India Company, proposed that hypnosis could be used as a therapeutic tool to reduce surgical pain. There is no painkillers yet where that we can use to put people to sleep so that we can do surgeries on them. So these two decided that we're going to try to hypnotize people so that we can do surgery on them. To test the validity of their proposal, Elliotson and Esdale performed hundreds of surgical interventions with the hypnotic trance as the sole anesthetic agent. Some of the surgeries Esdale carried out in Bengal between 1845 and 1851 included amputations and, 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 and then we have testimonials of them. And then they continue, page 115. Remarkably, these surgeries performed under hypnosis were conducted without pain and with very low morbidity rates. Because usually in normal surgeries, a lot of people were dying then. These, they're not dying. In fact, the death rate was reduced to only about 5% at a time when surgical mortality was about 40% for these kinds of procedures. Esdale attributed this positive outcome to the successful relief of pain with hypnosis. So this is page 115, and then if we jump to the end of the chapter, hypnosis can be a powerful tool for harnessing the power of our minds and affecting the way our brains and bodies function. Research shows that suggestions received in a hypnotic state of, of trance can markedly reduce pain perception and improve various skin conditions, allergies, and asthma. And this is all a, a huge industry today. Okay, Even people who have addictions and, and, and. You go, they help you through hypnosis to basically change your behavior, change your life, and all of that. Hypnotic suggestions can also alter the activity of the brain and even lead to spectacular body changes. For instance, people who want to lose uh, lose fat, let's say, and get back in shape, they use hypnosis. Too. It's a big industry. As researcher Emily Williams Kelly points, these bodily effects are much more specific than the general physiological processes associated with simple relaxation. The mechanisms by which specific hypnotic suggestions can trigger specific physical effects and contribute to the healing of the body still remain elusive. They still cannot understand or explain by looking at the way the brain works what is happening when someone is being hypnotized. And this is the point of this chapter. So again, it's to question this idea of materialism. I can go on, but I think that that was the point. In the hypnotic state, the subjects seem to be able to access deeper levels of the mind. These deeper levels allow a connection with a larger intelligence hidden within us, with, uh, which has much greater capacity than the normal waking mind to influence what is going on in the body. So you're accessing something that is unconscious when you're being hypnotized, or when you're hypnotizing someone. This is the best theory we have right now. What exactly is it? How does it work? Not sure. So looking at the brain itself, 
we don't have an explanation. Okay? So this is one more example. Hypnotism. Remote viewing and ESP. So what is remote viewing? Long story short, and this is something that I'm sure if I really keep talking about it, you guys are all going to go research it a lot more. But basically, this is the ability for someone to travel in space to a remote location and to view whatever they feel like viewing, and they come back. Okay, so it seems like it's completely science fiction. So this entire chapter is about is showing how the military uses this and how it started years and years ago in, during the Cold War between the U.S. and the USSR. And these became programs that are funded with millions and millions of dollars. And there's entire documentaries and books written about this. If you want to look it up, it's called remote viewing. Okay? So what, you imagine yourself in space? And... So basically you learn how to travel in space and carry yourself to, let's say they give you coordinates, and you bring yourself to those coordinates, and you tell the people conducting the, the research, so usually the military, can you please tell us what's going on there? And without him actually going there? No, 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 you're sitting in a room with them, and you travel to Russia. Okay, this is what they were doing. Okay, I want to say something. Yeah. I want to say something. Like, as much as I want to believe what you're saying, because you're saying it, yeah. I don't have proof. Yeah. You know, and what you're saying, like, what you're saying sounds like a miracle to me. Yeah. And I understand, like, like you would say, the question really is for me right now is, as a religious person, mm -hmm. is if something not materialistic, does that mean it's a miracle or no? No. Exactly. Of course not. So that, but I need the proof because, like, we haven't, as a person, I haven't seen this day-to-day -day where things unmateriallistically happen. Like, like how the, how the way you're saying it, like a person stops his heartbeat for five days, then comes back to life, 100% normal. So basically, you're stuck in the materialist world. Yeah, like, I'll say, yeah, like, basically, I, I haven't, like, I haven't seen proof enough for, like... So what I'm trying to do it. is to open your horizons to that, and basically tell you that there is a lot more going on in a human being than this body. Okay, I, I, I understand that, and yeah. I believe that. But the skin, but like... The, the, the amount that you're giving me right now of, of, of that, course I'm doing it overload <laughs> I get that overload, that's like I don't like I can't I yeah. don't accept it just because I hear it and so this is the reason why instead of doing it through religious means because we're gonna go back to that but I think all of us grew up with hearing it from the religious side all yeah. of this uh -huh. okay I'm trying to present it with scientific documentation okay I'm trying to show that the scientific literature, if you know where to look and what to look for, it does not contradict anything that we believe in. And these ideas that we have about miracles, let's say, well, a miracle is maybe not as miraculous as we think it is. Maybe these miracles that these prophets and imams do, it's because they completely understand the laws of nature and what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put in place and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given them that kind of knowledge to use nature to its full capacity. Which is completely different than saying a miracle, a miracle breaks the law. No, no, no. But it's a miracle for them to have that knowledge. As in, because usually nobody, like, 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 no, if they weren't born with God's, with that miracle, with that guide, then they'll be normal. Mm -hmm. That doesn't come from nowhere. So what, what I'm saying is, this opens the door to at least 
discussing, contemplating, looking at the idea of maybe this is not as miraculous as we think it is. What's that? This like, knowledge. Or just, just because we're finding traces of it. Not materialistic, the things that are not materialistic. Okay, I understand. Because that. we find well, traces of it in normal human beings. I'm not saying that everybody has it. But I'm saying if you find all these traces of it, yeah. of people having all these supernatural powers, but they're only supernatural because the majority of people don't know how to tap into them. So this remote viewing, for okay, instance... I agree, I agree with you, but yeah. my problem right now is I haven't seen one person with that supernatural power. So, like, basically, how can I, how can I, how can I, like, believe that there is a supernatural person without seeing concrete evidence of that? Like... That's your open-mindedness or closed-mindedness. You know I mean? like, I'm not gonna like personally. I'm yeah. not gonna believe whatever you say. Like I believe. No, 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 no. So I'm gonna go back. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm I was not, gonna like, finish like, with that it's argument. Not like you're not like that's the thing. It's like, like I respect what you're saying, but like, can you please like, with what you're saying, give like a reference or like, something, <laughs> like a picture? We no, so basically, so he told you search up remote viewing after, okay? Yeah, so each one of these, I think it's really worth researching on your own and making up your mind. I, I'm not trying to convince any of you guys that any of this is the way it is, okay? I am teaching you, I am giving you tools so that if you need to discuss things that today are recognized by scientists and by military programs and by governments all over the world, each one of these topics, with huge experts and industries and books written about them and so on and so forth. And I'm saying this is in the scientific world, okay? I'm not saying this is just, you know, mass media and what's on social media and it's just a, a flavor of the day, okay? I'm not telling you believe in it. I'm saying if someone comes to you and says the world is materialist, I'm going to tell them, well, here's 10 examples of what the mind apparently is doing today. That materialism has no clue. Us, can you give us, can you give us like, like, like a, a concrete website, like something like that? So like when they say, no, you're lying. Google.com. Well, what am I going to tell them? What if they tell me you're lying? What am I supposed to tell them? Like, you need I, to go research. Give I, them this book. Start with this but book. It's just a book. Like there's, there's a lot of books. Like, like, like books don't mean they're right. <laughs> okay. So this book? guy, as I said, he is a neuroscientist and one of the biggest in the world. Okay. So... I don't know if, like, for anyone who knows how it works in the academic world, you can't just publish whatever you want. I can't just go, you know, and self-publish on Amazon. Anyone can do that. But I can't actually publish through a, a scientific publishing house, as they call them, without going through peer review by other scientists who accept this and a millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands invested so that we put our name behind this and put it on the shelf of a university. So that people don't laugh at us. This, is, this was on a, 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 book, a bookshelf in psychology in a university. Okay. But which are is, there books about how the, how the earth is flat? Sure. So, but the earth, like, no, like, so how does that, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, so be, like, I'm not, like, what I'm saying is, like, something turning, becoming a book <laughs> doesn't mean it's right. Yeah, but he's using scientific data. I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. For, the pre <laughs> for the books for the books that say the earth is flat, they're probably using... What's that? Okay, but no, can, the, those are like probably theory books. Bro, no, you can but see... that's the thing. Like, you can, you can search like, up, know, you like can search up the data and see, okay, this is, first of all makes no sense. It's biased. 
there's stuff wrong with it, you know, you can, like, obviously, you can make no, up no, anything, no. and then you can do a study, and that's then it's what biased. I'm, that's what I'm point. saying. But yeah. that's what... That's what it's I'm a meta, saying. didn't you say yeah. it's like a meta-analysis? Yeah, there's, this is, it's full yeah. of meta-analyses. But anyways, long story short, Said, as I said, I'm not trying to convince you that each one of these things is valid or not on its own. All I'm giving you guys is, if we're discussing materialism, if someone claims that the only way to explain how the world works is through materialism, and usually they want to rely on science, and only science, to prove that materialism is the only way to explain the world, then I'm going to counter with many examples recognized by scientists and science to show you that science does not explain everything happening in the world today. Okay. Uh, what I'm saying is basically like, I could use records for the example you gave me for the, for the, for the, the, for the thing where when you believe something... Placebo. Pl placebo effect. Yeah. I can show records. I, you know, I can... There's like... Like there's... There, there, there's been a recorded... Like, when people do this, when people do this, the percentage of survival rate is this because yeah. they believe that. All there of these, records. yeah, so every single one of the items I'm I mentioning... I easily, but where can I find the records? That's all of them. They're all there. All you need to... That's it's just it's you're not aware of them. The moment yeah, you start give researching... Me the, uh, give me, like, the website... Just read it on Google. Remote viewing on <laughs> PubMed or something. <laughs> there's books about books. Yeah. Where, like, there's a huge... As I said, yeah, yeah. I, you really need to appreciate what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Each one of these is an entire field. Like, hypnotism is an entire field on its own. It's not a book or a site. Oh, there, you, once you go in there, it's like talking finance. I can't just tell you go to a website and understand finance. It's an entire field. There's schools of thought, there's different theories, and it's an, each one of these is an entire field. The only reason we don't know about it, it's, it's on the fringe of what science talks about. It's not the mainstream stuff because there's no answers to this. So you have some people who are dedicated to only studying this stuff and they're publishing books and scholarship and ongoing research. Like this is my full-time job as a scientist to look into remote viewing. Hichi. Like th to this extent, okay? Yeah, the remote viewing I broke, you know? That's okay. <laughs> so here they talk about the beginning of remote viewing and he talks about the most famous one because he made it famous. This guy had an accident and then so he returns. He says, McMonagall, so he, this is the guy returned to the army, but he was fundamentally changed. His near-death experience had apparently given him the ability to achieve altered states of consciousness at will. Eventually, his abilities caught the attention of the Cold War Army, which was looking for promising new ways to compete with the USSR in 1977. And this is all e extensively documented if you go online. Just put remote viewing history where it started, and you're going to start seeing the books and the articles and the documentaries about this. He was one of the first officers recruited for the top-secret Stargate project, backed by the Army and other U.S. government agencies, including the Central Intelligence Agency, the CIA, and the DIA, the Navy. These agencies were interested in testing whether remote viewing, the mental faculty that allows a perceiver or viewer to describe or give details about a target that is inaccessible to normal senses due to distance or shielding, represents a truly efficient means to obtain sensitive intelligence information. So the point why they recruited him initially was to see, is this even true? But it's not me and you here sitting in a basement discussing this. This is the, the CIA, this is the biggest intelligence agencies in the world doing those tests. And this lasted from 1977. Anyways, the, it goes on. This guy won every medal at the end for this work and then they made it all disappear. 
but today you can find all the information online related to this, okay? So that's what, one, one field. So remote viewing is another area. I don't want to spend too much time. I want to go a little bit faster. Uh, and then the last one that I wanted to talk about was this idea of the near-death experiences and the out-of-body experiences. So these are people who, as a result of a, an accident, a problem that they have, whatever happens to them, they feel that they die and that they come back. Today, this is an entire field. What is happening to those people? What are they experiencing? Are there things that, are, that seem to be common to everybody who goes through that or not? That's an entire field. So here at the end of the near-death experience, they say the scientific near-death experience studies performed over the past decades indicate that heightened mental functions can be experienced independently of the body at a time when brain activity is greatly impaired or seemingly absent. And this is the biggest problem with near-death experience and out-of-body experience. If you're plugged into a machine and the machine says that your brain died, you are brain dead. And then through whichever medical miracle, okay, all these doctors work on you and they bring you back to life two minutes later. If it's one, min one second later, it, there's a problem with materialism. There are people who are coming back hours later or days later. And they say, we saw things, we experienced things. Let's, let's, say, <laughs> let's say, for an example, the truth say it is Israel doesn't bother with me and you, okay? Just so that we know. Israel is much greater than bothering with a little human being, okay? Israel, the, the, the might that he has and the power he has is not about this and that little human being. Okay, he, has army he, he has army, and then if you read it carefully, he has like commanders with armies under them who will send their little angels to, who are responsible for taking your soul. There's one angel dedicated to just you, Sayyid. And one for me and one for each other. Israel is the one who's responsible for death, all death. In general. So he doesn't go himself? He doesn't go himself, no. And if you read the, the narrations, his description and his might and his power, you understand why. Okay? I prayed this prayer that if I pray, Israel comes with me. Good luck. Have fun, bro. In our ruayat, the Holy Prophet was uneasy when he saw Israel himself the first time. The Holy Prophet, not me and you. So, anyways, here the issue is there are documented instances where people are saying that they experience things. If what experiences anything is the brain, then how can you experience something when your brain is dead? If there is no brain activity, what is experiencing? Where is this hallucination? Whatever it is, even if it's fake, where is it taking place if there is no brain? Okay, so this is the point of the near-death experiences. And then, of course, there's a link to be made that how come the majority of people, if it's a hallucination, people go on with their lives. How come the majority of people who have near-death slash out-of-body experiences, the majority of those people change their lives? the majority of those people become spiritual. And they talk about that in this, and entire books are dedicated to this. What changes? This is why they say the probability of this being like fake by all of these people is very low. Because they're all experiencing the same thing. 
it's not that they're experiencing the same thing, but when you look at their lives following that event until they die, there's always a change in their life. They don't just go on normally with their life. Like someone who just had a hallucination, let's say. Could that not just be because they almost died? So they're like, I want to do So there's a point? spiritual, yeah, but there's a spiritual dimension. Like yeah, it's as though they believe in something. It's not necessarily because of what they experience. It could be just because... They thought they almost died, so now they want to change their lives for the better. Why don't they change it towards, let's say, becoming more materialist? So, I have to seize every opportunity, every instant I have to make more money, gain more things in life, worldly so things. Life go, why do they all go towards more spiritual things? Why do they become more spiritual? It's like that stuff becomes kind of secondary, and they all move towards more spiritual religions, more spiritual values, helping others. Why? All of them, regardless of what they used to be before. This is like this is a whole topic, okay? So I'm not spending more time on that. These were a lot of the examples. Um, I wanted to finish with this because it has to do with something you mentioned. Page 182, the author says, The reaction of scientists towards near-death experience is to a large extent influenced by their views about religion and the afterlife. An article published in Nature in 1998 revealed that 93% of the most prominent and influential scientists in the United States, all members of the National Academy of Sciences, consider themselves non-religious or non-spiritual and rejected the possibility of an afterlife. So this author is saying, how are we supposed to do any experiments and to look into this from a scientific point of view if they would not even entertain the idea that this is even a remote possibility. Remember when we talked about the psychological blockage? When we said someone does not even listen to the argument you're saying, they refuse it altogether because they tell you, this is nonsense. I'm not even going to look into what you're saying. This is nonsense. So if to start with you say, there is no such thing as an afterlife, well, of course you're not going to accept my premise that I want to do an experiment to see if it exists or what happens after you die. I've already decided, nothing. Right? So this is his issue. He's saying, we cannot do scientific work on this so long as there's a monopoly by those who refuse to accept that there's anything beyond materialism in place as a system. Okay, this survey can help us understand why these scientists so vigorously refuse to accept the implications of the research on near-death experience. It's basically saying if you look at it, there are implications, there are conclusions. It changes how we live. It changes something. Okay? So I'm going to stop here. I think we covered everything. The idea was what? Inshallah, we're going to wrap it up and make the linkages to finish this topic the next time we meet. The idea was what? The idea is to counter this. Okay? So this is the other side of the argument. Where you have books that are called, We Are Our Brains. There is nothing else but the brain. And we're going to read how others completely deconstruct this notion. And they say, if we are simply our brains, and there is nothing but our brain, and this idea has begun a while back. So let's go to this idea. See, here he says, this is Raymond Tallis in a book called Aping Mankind. So he's objecting to this idea. Consciousness is at the basic level 
appearance or appearing to, but neither nerve impulses nor the material world have appearances. So he just spent 150 books written in tiny print. Okay, it was excruciatingly long to read this because he's a neuroscientist, he's a medical doctor who's been writing philosophy books forever, for a very long time. Okay, trained as a doctor before going on to become professor of geriatric medicine at the University of Manchester, elected fellow of academic medical sciences for his research in clinical neuroscience, and then since 2006, he's been doing more philosophical work. And this whole point of this book is to go against this idea of that you can limit the human being to we are our brains. Okay? So he... No, he's against it, and he's showing he, he spends, I don't know how many tens of pages explaining what is actually happening between the neurons and the synapses inside the brain and the chemical interactions that are taking place in the brain. All that to show what? At the end he's like, so what's the difference between what's happening there and what's happening in the rest of the spinal cord? Why is it that this consciousness is only taking place in the brain? Why don't you say it takes place in the spinal What's the difference between those cells that are inside the brain and those inside the spinal cord? The only difference is those are here and those are here. They're the same cells. Those are neurons and those are neurons. So why is it that this brain is so special? So maybe it's not that special. And maybe what you think is consciousness taking place in the brain, inside the brain, is actually not taking place inside the brain. And that's why he, he's saying here, so what's the difference between this and, say, let's say, the kidneys? Okay, he, he, I, I don't want to spend this makes more obvious, bar me the idea that nerve impulses can journey towards a place where they become consciousness. Okay, so the same impulse. That by moving from one material place to another, they are mysteriously able to be the appearance of things other than themselves. So how do you get the mental image of something, let's say, that you remember happened to you? Just because it's happening in the brain, so why doesn't it happen when it's happening in your back? This is the issue. This is what it comes down to. So when they say we are our brains... There are other people who, when they deconstruct that, they say it doesn't work. You're just duping, you know, deceiving people by saying that. And this is the, our point, the point that we have against materialism when it wants to limit the human being to the body. Okay? So, inshallah, we'll continue with this idea and the next time. We'll wrap this distinction between the human being and the rest of creation and the idea that the human mind is maybe different than the human brain. Okay, so inshallah we'll wrap all of that up and the next time and then we can start the next topics. Wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi tayyibin. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad.